Uh, before, we get, uh, before we get cracking here into God's Word, we're going to just briefly talk again about uh, groups together. So, as you know, come September, we're going to uh, embark on connect groups, which is a slightly different way of doing our groups together. And I think there'll be a slide that pops up to just illustrate something of the difference between what we've done before and what we'll do in the future. Next one, I think. That'd be great. Thank you very much. So, we are going to split the year into three sections, three terms. You see where we're going here. And at the beginning of each term, there'll be an opportunity to sign up to a connect group. Uh, a connect group is just a new name for our sort of house groups, fellowship groups, all the various names of groups you've ever known now fall inside the category of connect group. And we're going to uh, have opportunity to sign into a group for a term. And groups will cover groups and courses. So for that term, you could choose to go to a regular group that meets in someone's home, or you could be part of a group. That could be an alpha course, or it could be a marriage group, or a parenting group. Or it could be a group, which we're excited to let you know about, where you learn how to pastor people. So we're going to have a course running that teaches you how to be, uh, or how to pastor people. Um, which brings me on to my next point quite nicely, which is that as part of this system, part of this group system, uh, City Church is going to have, in fact, City Church does have a pastoral care team that looks after all of us. I need looking after too, so I need a pastoral team. We all do. Uh, and that pastoral team is a group of about a dozen people from across the two sites um, who have a bit more experience pastorally and a bit more experience of life, who will help, particularly help the group leaders when they might get a little bit stuck in a pastoral situation. They'll be on the end of a phone, or at least they'll be close to being on the end of a phone, to help you out if you get stuck or if there's something you're not quite sure about. And so a pastoral team has already been formed up and is going to uh, be gathering two or three times a year, and they'll be there as part of our group system. Um, the other thing just wanted to mention that maybe uh, we haven't mentioned quite enough over the last few weeks when we've talked about our new groups system is that there's quite a lot of training that will go into helping you to be a group leader. And you see that the dark blue part of the year is a month where the groups don't run. And during that month, there will be uh, quite a lot of training to help you to be a group leader. How do you gather people together? How can you be hospitable? How can you uh, lead? Uh, but also, in that month, there will be specific training for pastoring people again. So how do you pastor people as a group leader? How do you do that? And that's going to be part of that training. So all group leaders who sign up to be group leaders will get that training. In fact, we're asking that you do that as part of becoming a Connect Group leader. Now, some of you might think, well, I've been doing this for years. Excellent. Well, this will be just a reminder for you of how to do what you've done for such a long time so faithfully. Um, just again, to thank you all, uh, particularly those who lead groups and have led groups in the past. Very, very grateful. You have served a key part of what it means to be a family. Uh, really important that we meet home to home around the city outside of a Sunday morning. Sunday uh, and church, it, 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 that, that, sometimes we just think that's what it is. But actually, the Bible uses different pictures for church. It uses a picture of an army. It uses a picture of a body. But maybe the most common one, and maybe uh, the one which gives us a hint as to why God is called Father, is that of family. Uh, we are family together. 
And family doesn't just meet once a week on a Sunday. Family is much more involved in each other's lives. And that's what we seek to be through this system of groups. Okay, would you like to turn to John chapter 13? And we're going to be looking, this is our third week, looking at what it means to be a family, a fellowship together of people who love Jesus. And we're calling this uh, just one anothering, or love one another this week. So if you'd like to find John chapter 13, or I expect you can read it on the screen uh, behind me. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and he says this, a new command I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Father, we just pray as we begin to look into your words, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit, come on us, come on us as we hear the words and make it live in us, Lord Jesus. We want this word not just to be uh, information, but to be life to us. Come and change us, Lord Jesus, I pray. By your Holy Spirit, we believe that your word is living and active, and we're asking each of us individually and corporately together that, you would, uh, that it would live and be active in our hearts and minds and our experiences going forward, we pray. Amen. So we've reached a point in the story of Jesus when we get to John chapter 13 where it's fairly close to the cross. Jesus has, is about to be arrested. Uh, the cross isn't far away in the story. And Judas, in fact, you remember Judas Iscariot, he's already left the room. And so there's probably some discussion amongst the other disciples what's happening. Well, and some of them might, you never know, have had a bit of a hint of what was going on with Judas. It's a period of intense fear and confusion. It's going to be for the disciples, particularly. And they're going to scatter. Obviously, Judas is going to betray Jesus to the religious authorities, and Peter's going to deny he even knows Jesus. The whole, this kind of group, this, this prototype church is going to be shattered in these moments. They're just all going to run to the hills. And Jesus is in the midst of them, and Jesus knows more than any of them what's going to the happen, what's going to happen, of course, for Jesus himself, who uh, the focus of all this is going to be on him. Jesus himself is close to the end. He's close to the cross. He knows what's coming more than any of the others do. He's facing betrayal and abandonment. He's facing disownment and punishment. He's going to be punished for our sins in the next few days. He's going to be separated from his father for the first time in all eternity has ever happened. He's, it's going to happen just a few short hours away. Torture is ahead of him and death is ahead of him. And what is Jesus doing in these terrible moments? He's encouraging his friends. Seriously, people, follow this man. Follow him. There's no one like him. Look, I get a bit tired. I've got nothing left for anyone else. Jesus is facing all of this. The weight of the ages is on his shoulders in this moment, and he's encouraging his friends. He's putting courage into them for what they're going to face. He's, he's living out what he's told them to do over all these years. He's preferring them over himself. He's thinking of them when, if, you know, if I'm anywhere near that, I'm thinking of myself. I'm running for the hills myself. And what's he doing? No, he's standing firm, and he's thinking of other people in this most terrible of all terrible moments. And he's an, what an incredible, we know he's more than a man, but what an incredible man. Follow him. 
follow, follow him. Give your life to him. It's absolutely. Why? Because this is who he is in this moment demonstrated for us. In fact, he does more than all of those things. If that wasn't enough, right here in the midst of all of that, as he sits in the last few moments with his friends before all this breaks out, he says this, I'm giving you a new command, a new commandment. There hasn't been a moment like this since Sinai, between, between God and his people, since Moses and the Ten Commandments on those tablets of stone. There hasn't been a moment where God says, this is it. These, this, what's, what is he going to say? What on earth is Jesus going to add to, that, to those ten? How could he add to them? How, what's he going to say in this moment? With all that's going on with his friends, what does he say? He says, a new commandment I give to you. And this is what he says. So simple. He says, love one another. He says, love each other. Actually, it's the beginning of this new covenant that he would bring in. A new way of relating to God, a new way of relating to each other. But actually, it's summed up all that had gone before. And in case we were, we were left wondering what he meant, and I suppose if you, you might say, well, Andy, yeah, okay, love each other. If we went around the room and you know, everyone just said what they thought love was, we'd all have a different idea. We've had different experiences. We've been involved in different aspects of what maybe loving people would be, and we've got families that work differently. We might all have different examples, or we might have all different definitions. Well, Jesus doesn't leave us wondering, because he says, love one another, and then he says, as I have loved you. Simple, and yet it is the challenge of the ages. So incredibly simple, yet what a challenge. And he's completely consistent with what he's said right through his ministry. Because Jesus didn't, didn't just say, give me your heart. He didn't say, feel something. He said, follow me. He's saying it again here. He's saying, love each other just like I've done for you. I've shown you how. I've defined love for you. I've demonstrated it time and time again. Now go and love each other. Do the things that I've showed you how to do. And even in the context, he's doing the same thing, isn't he? Disciples terrified. Judas is off to betray him. What's he doing? He's loving them. He's doing the very thing that he's saying. Now, is this is a commandment for all, for all ages to come. He's doing it even in the moment that he's speaking the words. And it's just, it's just a mind-warping definition, isn't it? As I have loved you. As I have loved you. Incredible. There's a promise attached to this too. And we mustn't miss that in the midst of wondering at Jesus and what he's saying and what he's doing. The promise is this. If you do this, everyone around will know that you're my disciples. You are living out the gospel in a way that people will recognize if you love people like Jesus loved them. Now, for some of us, some of us have big mouths. We like to speak about the gospel. And some of us don't, and that's okay. No, it's okay because we've got each other, haven't we? So for some of us, it's, you know, some people would say, well, it's all about what you say. The gospel is about what you say. And some would say, no, it's, it's about what you do. And of course, it's, all, it's about both. You can't have one way out there. The, the, they go together. It's like a, a left foot and a right foot. If you're going to make any, get, get up to pace, you need both to be functioning together. And we need to be that way together as God's people. Now, actually, the New Testament contains dozens of examples about how we can love one another. 
and literally dozens. I, I sent the list to someone a couple of weeks ago of all the one anothering verses, which is hard to say, uh, but there, and there are dozens of them. Dozens of times the Bible says, do this for one another, be like this for one another, think about each other in this particular way. And I think we're going to, we'll look at just a few of them in a moment. But first, let's just consider this, that when Jesus says love one another, he's pointing to part of the bigger story of how love works and what God is about. And if we look into Matthew 22, we find this. The Pharisees got together. It's going to be a bad moment for most when the Pharisees get together because the Pharisees were the religious authorities. They like to rule religion. They like to package it and sell it, and they like to be at top of the religious pile. And they didn't like Jesus because Jesus had the crowds. The ordinary people flocked to Jesus, and the Pharisees didn't like it. And so they tried eventually, in fact, they tried to, in fact, they did. Eventually, they, they got rid of him. They tried to uh, trip him up, and they were constantly trying to catch him out. And so this is a moment like this in Matthew 22. And the Pharisees got together. One of them said, and he was an expert in the law, he tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law. And likely, like many other times, they're going to try and catch him out and kind of trip him up with something. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And they would have thought, yes, we're all doing that because that's what we've been trying to do and you can see it in our lives. And yeah, of course we love God. We do all the things that we're supposed to do. We've kept all the rules. Of course we love God. And then Jesus said this, Oh, I love your neighbor as yourself. Whoa! And that would have just stung. <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself? Love your neighbor as yourself? Think of the person literally who lives next door to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's telling us the same story as when he gives that commandment in John's gospel. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he, and he says this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two things. He's summarizing all the Old Testament all the things that all the prophets had said, all the things that the commands had said, those Ten Commandments, he's summing it up. He's saying, love God and love your neighbor. Incredibly simple and yet so profound and massive for us as God's people. For us who said, yes, we, we follow you, Jesus. We bow the knee to you. We want to follow you. Well, we bow the knee to this, his way, his command, his example. And of course, we see, we see Jesus, don't we? We see Jesus washing his disciples' feet and preferring them over himself, thinking of them before himself. We see what Jesus is like. Let's look at just three examples of this one anothering we find across the New Testament. The first one we're going to look in is 1 Peter. And it says this, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's a bit of a cheat. That's a bit of a double hitter, that one. You get two for the price of one. And the second one in Ephesians 4, it says, speak the truth in love to one another. And in Hebrews 10, we'll finish with, spur one another on towards love and good deeds. So firstly, in this fleshing out of Jesus' instruction to love one another, we read this in 1 Peter 4. Above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, Peter is writing to the kind of dispersed 
community of believers throughout the empire, throughout the Roman Empire. And so at Jerusalem, of course, there was persecution and the people fled out from Jerusalem and started groups and churches wherever they went and that gathered pace and they grew. But they were, in many occasions, under persecution. It wasn't like coming here today. People would have been watching to see who came to a meeting today and people would be watching to see you leave. There was, there was real threat to those who followed Jesus in that time. And Peter's writing to encourage them He's writing to embolden them, embolden them. He's writing to encourage also that they continue to preach and live out the gospel, even under persecution. So his desire is that they wouldn't just somehow survive, but that their witness would be evident, even in the midst of trial and difficulty. So Peter writes to that group of people, and of course, beyond them, to us. He says this, above all, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. It sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? Love each other. Love each other deeply. And then he fleshes that out by saying this, love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, when I read that, you scratch your chin a bit and you think, hang on, aren't we Christians? Don't we repent of sin rather than just cover it over? Isn't that what we do? Well, yeah, you might be right. (laughs) But actually here what we find is context is everything. And what Peter's doing is writing to believers about how they get on with each other. He's not talking about how we relate to God. He's talking about how we get on with each other. And he's saying, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. And let's just think about that for a moment, how we relate to one another and covering one another's weaknesses and failings. What's my default position when I come up against a failing or a fault in a brother or a sister, a believer, someone who I'd know, is it to point it out? Is it to emphasize it? Is it to go and talk to somebody else about it? Or is it to cover over, to help them, to cover it somehow? Now, that might be a difficult concept. Let me try and illustrate that with something very practical. Um, some of us, it might not have happened to you yet, as we get a little bit older, our bodies, they change shape a bit. Uh, they're, they're slightly different shape than they were when some of us were a bit younger. <laughs> what I'm talking about, of course, but one or two of us, maybe. Um, and so what we do is we dress to cover some of that. And actually, the 3XL range at Asda is really good for this. <laughs> but we cover over things. We don't want to emphasize it. I don't want to emphasize failings in myself. And I don't want to emphasize failings in you. I want to cover them. It's actually a beautiful thing. Well, this might not be, but that concept certainly is. <laughs> to cover weaknesses and failings in others is a beautiful thing. It's what families do for each other. And sometimes we can forget that. And says, love each other deeply. Love covers over a moment. I'm not going to emphasize that thing. I'm not going to make you stand out because you... You know, there may, be a, there may be some sort of failing, some sort of fault with you. Now, we'll come on to some other ways of looking at that in a moment, so that's not, that's not the end of the story, but actually that's a really beautiful thing. And you can think about that in terms of yourself, but more than that, what Peter is saying is, think about that in how you relate to one another, about being part of this community. Some people are really good at some things and dreadful at others. Are we going to give, you know, oh, well done for that, but what about this thing? Is that how we're going to be? 
are we going to cover one another? Some of us are really good at speaking to people after a meeting like this. We're good at fellowship. Well, that's a funny word, isn't it? We're good at being friends. Some of us are not. Are we going to leave the one who's not just on the sidelines? Or are we going to go and cover that by drawing them in, making them part of the conversation? That's part of what that means. And then, of course, that goes on and on and out and further in the explanation of what that actually means. And actually, Peter, and he's got a double header here. He gives, uh, uh, actually, I think it's related, but he says this as well. He says, offer hospitality without grumbling. And why does he say that? Well, actually, he's not just saying, and he's not just saying, have people in your home. No, he's not, he is saying that, but he's saying much more than that. He's saying, have people into your life. He says, let people in and, and, and be prepared to step in. Be prepared to be part of other people's failings. Be prepared to be part of them. None of us are perfect. And if you think, well, I'm, I'm waiting, you know, I'm looking for the perfect church. Well, guess what? If you're in it, it's not perfect. It's true for all of us. It's true for me. It's not supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to cover one another's failings and faults. And we're supposed to allow each other in to open our lives up to one another so that we might know what those things are and help one another with it. Think about that. How do you do that? How might you do that? What might your contribution be in that one anothering moment to love one another deeply, to cover a multitude of sins, to open your life, to be hospitable with who you are and not just what you have? In Hebrews 13, the writer of the Hebrews says this, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Same theme, exactly the same theme. And he also talks about hospitality. He says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. He pushes the analogy a bit further. Peter, it seems, is talking about Christian brothers and sisters. And then the writer of the Hebrews says, and strangers. People you don't know. Have them in your home, but also have them in your life. And he says this, because some who've done this have actually shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. He's kind of saying they, they could, there's real blessing in this. There's something very spiritual about opening your life and your home to people that you don't know. Something very godlike, because that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He opened his home, which is glory, and he opened himself, which is Jesus. And he says, come in. Come and be part of this. Come and be part of who I am. Come and enjoy the wonders of a man like Jesus. Have him be part of your own life. Okay, the second one, in Ephesians 4. Now, we've been in Ephesians for some months together as a church, so this should be familiar to you. I'll read the context, and then we'll pull out the verses that we're going to look at. Uh, then you will no longer be infants, Ephesians 4, verse 14, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in, every, uh, in their deceitful scheming. Instead, seeking the truth, speaking the truth in love, we will grow uh, to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Paul is talking about maturity in the body of Christ. He's talked about the various gifts that God gives to the church to help them reach maturity. And now he says this, speak the truth and love to one another. That's part of us reaching maturity. Part of this picture of maturing, maturing church is that we learn, we've learned or we are learning to speak the truth in love to one another. And we want to be like that. We want to be a mature church. 
So we need to get this bit straight. You see, truth without love is a, can be just a brick in the face. And you might have experienced that yourself. Someone comes up to you and is like, right, time for some truth. And it's like, bam, it's like, whoa, hang on, I wasn't really ready for that. And it might be true, but you're still you're kind of smarting from the impact of it, that there's no energy or impetus to go and do anything about it, because it's just truth on its own. Wham, thank you so much, brick in the face. And you might, you know, the person who's delivered the truth bomb might think, great, done my job, I've told the truth, I've done my Christian duty, off I go and enjoy my life. And the person is just sort of crumpled on the floor, nursing the wounds of truth all by itself. A few home truths, that's what they need. But love on its own equally uh, can just miss the point. It can just be unproductive. In fact, I would suggest this, that love without truth is just tolerance. That's just what it is. And tolerance says this, you do whatever you like and I won't interfere. Whatever you want to do, that's fine by me. You just get on with it. Now, that is nothing like love. Nothing like God's love. God's love wouldn't stand for that. God's love doesn't let you go and damage yourself simply because it doesn't want to offend. Never, never, never would love be like that. And truth and love need to go together. And it actually defines what true love is when truth and love come together. In fact, truth and love kind of dance together. That's what they do. You need one and you need the other. And you need to be sensitive about how you do that because sometimes we do need to speak to people. And sometimes people need to speak to me. And they need to tell me things about myself which are not easy to hear. And that's where I need and where you need and where we need truth and love to be together. That someone would tell you in such a way that there would be a chance that you might actually change. I want, to, I, want, I want someone to tell me with the most opportunity for me to actually do something about it. Not just that it's delivered and done, but that we want to be that family that helps one another to change. Let me illustrate it with this proverb. Where James preached so well last week on what it meant to be uh, friends together. And in Proverbs 27, we read this. Wounds from a friend are trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And what the writer of the Proverbs is really saying is this, that when you, when you know someone loves you, when you really know they care, when you know they're interested in you, in your well-being, in your future, in your life, when they come and tell you a different thing, or a difficult thing, and yeah, that does wound, but that's, it's a faithful wound. It's a faithful wound. Let me just ask you this question. Are you the kind of friend who is able to wound and do you let, are, are you also the kind of friend the other, the other way? Would you allow your close friends to be that sort of friend too? Because that's the kind of closeness and intimacy and love that this community of believers is coming to be as Jesus instructs them. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But an enemy just multiplies kids. An enemy just tell you all wonderful things about yourself because it doesn't really care. But a friend is willing to take a risk and tell you something about yourself. Now listen, this is not just an opportunity this morning for you to march around after the meeting and think, right, who can I wound? Do you get the point? But actually, there should be relationships. And if there, if there aren't, then pray that you'd be that kind of friend and pray that you would have that kind of friend. I had that just very recently 
I've had friends come to me and tell me difficult things. I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm glad it's you that told me that. I'm really pleased it was you because I know you care. I know you care because of all that we've been through together, the life that we've shared together, the way you've spoken about me on other occasions. Now I'm so pleased you came and told me the truth. And we want that as part of who we are, don't we? Because it tells a story of Jesus. It tells a story of love and truth dancing together. Okay, finally, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. I love this verse. I love the kind of forward motion of it. I love the sense we're doing something together. And I love just the outflow of love and, and doing good. That All of that speaks of the gospel and who Jesus is and who the church uh, is as well. Now, what's a spur? Have we got any horse riders amongst us? Because a spur is something that, that people who ride horses will put on their heels occasionally, and they jab it into the horse, ouch, and the horse kind of goes a bit quicker. And that might all sound a bit harsh. You might think, do we really want that in the church? Is that really what we're about? Well, let me tell you this about the, the spur and the horse rider. The rider of the horse knows something about the horse. The horse doesn't know about itself. The rider of the horse knows this horse could go a bit faster. It could jump a bit higher. It could go a bit further. With the right encouragement, this horse could be more than it thinks it can be. And so it's risking a little jab in order to achieve something much greater than it imagined it could. Actually, this is very much like what a father does. What's one of the roles, many roles of fathers, but what is the role of, of a father? A father believes more about his children than the children believes about themselves. A father believes more about his children than the children believe about themselves. And then what the father does, in that belief, it encourages those children to go and take on the world. To go take on the world. I believe in you. With a demonstration in terms of how the father loves and how the father relates. That that child can go and take on and do more than they imagine that they could possibly do. The Bible also says this. There are not many fathers in God's family. It's, it's, a, it's almost a lament. There are not many fathers looking around. There are not many who are willing to risk that spurring one another on. And of course, he's not just talking to the men, although that, you'd be forgiven for thinking so. Men, you are the bride of Christ. Women, sometimes you have to be fathers too. There's a whole mixture of stuff. You just have to get used to the fact the Bible talks in these terms and gives these different metaphors. We need to be the kind of people who believe more about those around us than they believe about themselves. That's what puts courage in someone. When you encourage someone, you're putting courage into them so that they will face the world with more strength and resilience, ultimately for Jesus' glory. We need to be people like that. And our encouragement is that we would do that, that we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Part of who we are. Maybe, it's, maybe we could relate that directly to what we started with, with our group life together. Maybe you know someone you think, they'd make a great group leader. Or someone who's mentioned an idea to you and you know that's, oh, that's just a winner idea. Why don't you go and encourage them to see that through? Why don't you go and put Why don't you go and spur them on? Why don't you go and be a father to them? Demonstrate that you believe a bit more of them than they are willing to believe of themselves. Have you ever had someone that you really respected and loved come and tell you that you were great? It's like walking on air, isn't it? It's like, wow, you feel like you could fly. Now, that's what God wants in his community. 
what he wants in his family, people that are doing that for one another. It's, it's tough out there. The world's a tough, the world doesn't live like this. It doesn't do this. And if we're going to go and take the gospel of Jesus, this beautiful message of love to the world, we need to put courage in each other. We just spur one another on as the day approaches, as the disciples used to say, as the day approaches, the day is approaching when all this gets wrapped up. We need to be prepared to speak the truth and love to all those around us. Father, we just ask for your help in all of this. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be the kind of community, the sort of church that risks speaking the truth in love, that's willing to spur one another on, that's happy to open our lives up to one another in order that the gospel should be better displayed. Father, we pray that many would come to faith because we lived out our lives in the light of these things. In Jesus' name, amen.